listening to the Dynamic Women podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. Here's your host, award-winning coach and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Welcome to our expert training today. Uh, we have Danielle Benson, and I'm going to introduce her in a second, but I realized I didn't say who I am, and I am Diane Rolston. I'm the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, and today we get uh, a double dose of awesomeness from the lovely Danielle. Now, if you've never met her, you need to. She is bubbly, she is fun, she is caring, and she is as authentic as you can get. So let me tell a little bit more about Danielle. Um, here we go. So Danielle Benson believes in the power of the authentic human voice. There is no one size fits all. Danielle specializes in bringing out the unique natural strengths of every speaker so each individual feels seen and heard and represented. Through this work, people turn their stage fright into joy, confidence, and excitement by showing up fully present Fully present, both physically and emotionally, they deliver dynamic, engaging presentations and attract their ideal clients. When you find presence, truth, and power, it can't help but spill out into every area of your life. Wow, Danielle, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It is. I, I really like the one-size-fits-all. No one-size-fits-all. No one, no one-size-fits-all. So what do you no. mean by that? Well, um, in like, especially in kind of more traditional speaking training, there's a lot of rules, you know, like you have to stand like this, you have to do this, you have to walk like this. Uh, and it's all garbage. Um, we're, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it is. Uh, it's, it's a way of kind of cheating, knowing, really understanding stagecraft and, and, and that kind of thing. So instead of giving people some rules and they have to feel like they have to fit into this, this certain style of speaking, I help people figure out who they are and bring that out on stage and learn the rules and which ones you can break and which ones you want to break and, and, and how, how to do it in a way that's like, you know, that's going to actually serve you because I don't believe in breaking rules out of ignorance. You got to do it for a reason. Hmm. I like that. Don't break rules out of ignorance. That's a tweetable. You should use that today. But <laughs> write it down. I like breaking rules. Um, yeah. but knowing which ones you can and which ones you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and even for your personality, probably some people can break certain rules and other people just shouldn't break other rules. Well, and this is the thing. You got to have a really good reason. Hmm. Wow. Cool. Good to hear. So uh, what you said, you know, Oh, there's all these rules about do this a certain way. I, I'm guessing which organization you're referring to, which I, I still, and I'll just name it Toastmasters. There's a certain way to do things. And I think that is a wonderful way to get practice in speaking and to start to, um, start to just know what, what is the template kind of thing. And yeah. what I'm hearing is you, you really bring out the, um, you help the person to show up mm -hmm. and then craft how they're going to be on stage rather than the other way around where the structure is there and then you have the person fit the structure. Well, exactly. And there are a lot of, actually, there are a lot of good things about Toastmasters. And, um, but yeah, the thing is, is that as soon as you try and, 
as soon as you try and oversimplify something, um, you lose a lot of the subtlety and you, you lose a lot of the nuance. So things like, um, oh, one of my pet peeves is saying, you've got to walk across the whole stage. You know, like this idea that you have to, you have to walk everywhere on the stage. Um, some people are very movement oriented. Some people have a lot of energy and moving around is great for them. And some people are very introverted and very still. And that's fine. It's not about, and the reason people say that, I've got like a whole list of like bad advice and, and the good intentions behind it, you know? <laughs> the reason, the reason yeah. people say that you should do that is because they don't want anyone in the audience to feel left out because some speakers don't know how to hold the room. They don't know how to have their awareness over the entire audience. So they, they compensate for that by walking around and making sure everyone gets like FaceTime. Whereas if you know how to hold the audience, if you know how to pay attention to everybody, you don't, you don't need to physically move your body because yeah. you're, you're fully in the space. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like wishing speakers would just stay still. Cause I'm yeah, like, well, exactly. still. Cause you're, you have a very emotional story and your movements distracting me or I can tell you're nervous and you're pacing. Yeah. Um, and when you think of even uh, singers, some singers will stay in one spot yeah. for their whole show, don't dance, don't do anything, because their voice is yeah. main stage. Um, and then others will be dancing and singing and sequence and 80 yeah. dancers and <laughs> backup dancers. Um, <laughs> So I guess it also it depends. depends on what your message is, what your style is. It depends on your message. It depends on your style. It depends on your content. So I always say, um, again, everything you, should, everything you do should have a reason behind it. So if you're moving, be moving in a way that supports your content, not in a way that distracts mm -hmm. from your content. So it's not that moving is bad. Moving is great. But if you're just moving for the sake of moving, that's bad. You want to be, mo be moved by your content. You want to and, and then it makes more logical sense. And, and we are spatial thinkers. So, you know, there mm. is, there is a, there is definitely, and, and I, you know, you can go into like great detail about like memory palaces and like mapping the stage and all that kind of stuff. And that can get really fun. But at the end of the day, like you just want the movement to support what you're saying and not distract. Yeah. Right. So you just threw out, what was it? Movement? What did you call that? Oh, uh, stage mapping. Stage mapping? No, you said something else. Uh, mind palaces. <laughs> yes. Okay. So tell, tell us, um, these are not common words to say. Uh, so I'm curious as to where did you learn all of this stuff? What is your background? What makes you an expert? Mind palaces are a little bit off topic. It, it's, it's a renaissance uh, idea of a, a memorization technique. So I trained as an actor for 20 years. I'm, I don't look that old, but I started when I was six. So um, I trained as an actor for 20 years, and I was obsessed with, specifically with Shakespearean uh, texts mm. and Shakespearean plays. So I know them all, and I've done many of them. And um, yeah, so classical theater was, was very much my first love. And uh, in the Renaissance, they had this, this idea of, of, of mind palaces or memory palaces because, uh, you know, a lot of people weren't literate. There was, you know, there wasn't a lot of writing going around. Um, mm. And it's hard to remember things. So yeah. you, create a, you would create a kind of palace or whatever. It just needs to be a space in your brain. And you attach information to it. And actors still use this as a memorization technique because we're spatial thinkers. Like just on an evolutionary scale, um, yeah. it's a lot easier to remember 
you know, like round the, round the river up the hill than it is to remember text. So um, actors often, instead of using, instead of memorizing the words, will memorize images and you can put them in different parts of the stage and you, you can get really creative with just like attaching mm. images to whatever. I, when I'm trying to remember what I need to do when I get home, I, uh, I imagine a little sticky note on my front door with like the things that I need to remember when I get home. <laughs> and then I forget about it. And then when I walk home, I see the sticky note and I'm like, oh, it's not really there. It's in my head. But uh, you can do a lot of those kind of silly little memory tricks to help you out. Yeah. By association. Yeah. So you're a trained <laughs> actress, actor. Um, where, where do you live? We're going to do some rapid fire here. Rapid fire. I live in Vancouver in Caresdale at the moment, but I'm not from here. Oh, where are you from? I was born and raised until I was 16 in South Africa mm. on the coast. Nice. And what made you want to be an actor? Uh, <laughs> when I was four, four or five, I, um, my parents snuck me into my first adult theater. I'd been watching children's theater. Um, but a, a friend of the family was playing Feste in Twelfth Night. And uh, I, I got them to sneak me into the, the grown-up playhouse. Uh, when I was about four or five and I saw Twelfth Night and it just, it got me, it bit me. I wouldn't leave an intermission. <laughs> My mother's like, this child is sitting so still. I was like, don't want to miss anything. Don't want to miss anything. And I, I remember the whole thing. And it was just, it was the most beautiful experience. It was adults playing pretend. And it, it, the language didn't bother me because I was four or five. I was used to people saying things I didn't understand and just kind of figuring out what they meant mm. through the context. So I fell in love with Shakespeare before I knew I wasn't, before I knew it was supposed to be difficult, um, which made it a lot easier. I want to just hear briefly kind of what your path was to get into acting, um, because a lot of people, oh, starving actors, and only so many people make it. So I'm just going to let you think about that for a moment of kind of, how you got, got into it, got through it. And I just want to, for all of those joining us live right now, want to just put it out there. Do you have a question, personal question? We're pulling back the curtains here, literally on the stage. You can ask Danielle almost anything about her life, about her business. Um, so now's the time, pop it in the chat room. We're going to let Danielle answer this question and then we're going to finish off with your questions before we jump into our expert training. Um, so, Danielle, what, was, what is the path to be an actor? Was there adversity on the way? And obviously now you are helping non-actors and probably some actors to find their voice and find themselves so that they can do better on stage for whatever reason it is. So give us a kind of a, a brief journey. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely no one path to, to being an actor. And, you know, I think even people who are make it and are in Hollywood still don't know how quite how they got there. Uh, there's a lot of luck involved. But um, that whole starving actor thing is, is completely true. And um, my, my dad's an artist and he makes a living painting. And that's also pretty much unheard of. So I, I unfortunately had this like glaring example of how you could achieve your dreams if you wanted to. So it was hard to dissuade mm -hmm. me. Of, um, it was hard to make me, you know, kind of get a real job because I had this example in my, in my nuclear family of someone who was, who was doing what they loved and getting paid for it. Um, yeah, so I, I fell in love with the theater when I was four. I started acting as soon as I started school. Um, I, I dropped into this drama and art class somehow through, you know, friends of my parents. 
that was just, it was the most amazing thing and did that for many, many years. And then uh, joined a youth theater company when I was 12. And that, that was a big thing. Like drama and art was, was, I learned a lot there that I just kind of didn't realize that I learned. And a lot about voice, a lot about um, presence and that kind of thing. But being part of a theater company is a completely different experience. And I'm very much a theater actor. I do a little, like I've, I've done a little bit of film, but it's, it's not my passion. Film is very much a director's medium. Theater is very much an actor's medium. Actors in control in theater. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and I like being in, you know, I want it to be my show, so screw film. Um, unless I'm directing, then film is great. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I joined a youth theater company when I was 12 and just did everything with them. I, I acted and directed and, you know, stage managed for the younger kids and, you know, helped out. And right. that was a really formative experience because it was the first time I really experienced community. I was, I was not a, not a happy child growing up, beat up on a lot and having a, a space, a very kind of accepting tolerant space where we were encouraged to grow and develop our leadership skills and that kind of thing was, it was amazing. And then, yeah. And then we moved to Canada and I had this idea in my head since, you know, cause when you're young and you have a passion, everyone tells you kind of what you're going to do. So since I was very young, I had all these adults being like, you're going to go to RADA and you're going to join the Royal Shakespeare Company. And kind of my life was planned uh, for me before I even knew wow. <laughs> what, you know, the Royal Shakespeare Company was. Um, so that was always the dream to go to England and to go to acting school in England and join the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, so we moved to Canada and I, I kept training here. I joined a theater company here and finished high school and saved up for acting school. And when I went to acting school, in my brain, the idea always was, you know, I had this idea of rep theater and, you know, like, like it was 50 years ago, you know, when, when people like Ian McKellen were training. And it's not like that anymore. It's like a mini Hollywood, you know, anywhere. Even, even theater in England is still very much about who you know and, you know, schmoozing. And uh, I don't, I love the art and I hate the industry. And I realized <laughs> upon getting, it was actually the night that we had our uh, presentation for our master's degree program in acting. I realized I really didn't want to be an actor. <laughs> and that's it a fun thing. To, to a lot of people, once they either <laughs> get into the job they thought they wanted or yeah. they went to schooling. Yeah. Well, I love the art and I love, and it was really the training because it's so much about figuring out, I mean, I know a lot of it's playing pretend, but it's very much about figuring out who you are and how you work and understanding your emotions and the physicality of the voice. And, you know, yeah. all of that stuff is just so exciting to me, but uh, schmoozing and, you know, doing all this like who, you know, and sucking up and pretending you love ketchup because it's the only gig you can get is selling ketchup on a commercial, you know, all that stuff is not, um, was a bit soul destroying. for you. No. So that was a fun phone call to make to my parents. Hey, I've just spent many, many thousands of dollars on my education. Uh, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and so we kind of pulled this all together in a pivot. You've took, you've taken all the skills that you, yeah. the passion that you have for it. Mm -hmm. um, and you've pivoted into a business where you get to teach others how to really use it. And a lot of people who are non-actors, so business owners, uh, people in their professional career that need to give presentations. Yeah. 
people who maybe need to pitch their ideas. There's so many ways to use what you offer. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's cool because the love is still there for what you do. Yeah. I totally hear it. I see it in your face for any of you <laughs> who are, are live with us, for anyone listening to um, the recording later or listening to the podcast, then uh, you'll just have to see some video of Danielle to really capture um, her essence when she talks about this. So we've got one question here. We're going to go into um, just the shortest answer you could possibly give to it so that we can move into our training. Uh, what, are the, what are the three most common speaking mistakes that you see speakers making? Well, only three? Okay. Um, not making eye contact. So this whole idea of like you can look at someone's forehead or you can look on the squirrel on top of their head or you can look behind them. That's garbage. You can't do it. It doesn't work. You have to make eye contact. 100% has to happen. Okay. Um, <laughs> Second one. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Second one, uh, we were talking about earlier, just moving, moving for the sake of moving, just kind of walking around the stage, not really knowing why you're moving. Uh, I see that happen a lot. And, and number three, biggest mistake. One, I think speaking too fast and not, not pausing, not giving yourself time, not giving the audience time to catch up, being, being so terrified of silence that we're just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and then we get off stage, you know? Um, so not being fully present and just being so scared of silence that it's well, you need you. your audience to catch up. Yeah. It's very important. Uh, coaching colleague was explaining to me the other day, she does tango and salsa and all these different dances. Oh, yeah. and a teacher of hers says, you're not letting your partner catch up. So mm. you make this movement. She was leading. You make the movement. You have to wait till they arrive. So when you speak, you have to wait till your audience arrives. Exactly. So while you might be able to speak quickly, your audience is hearing it for the first time. So that's, for me, a really great reminder too, because I love to talk fast and get lots of words in. So thank yeah. you for that reminder. Now, <laughs> see, there's another question here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put it out to you, Danielle. Maybe you would take on this question and make a video on it or do... Uh, write yeah. something up on your Facebook. I'll say what it is, and then you can decide to our audience where you're going to display this okay. information. So uh, it says, I love the term you use, the physicality of the voice. Can you expand on that and explain what you mean with that term? So we're well, not going to do think, it now. I think some of that will actually be explained in my presentation. So amazing. why don't we just go into that? Great. So thank you so much for letting me ask you some questions, for being here in this segment. Uh, and we're not done yet for those with us live. And for those who are listening, who are Dynamic Women members, make sure you jump on over to the expert training section in the Global Club where you can catch the full video version of this podcast as well as the full expert training. And just to give you a little idea what we're going to be talking about, we're going to talk about how to love the sound of your voice. Yeah. So, thanks, Danielle. We'll go and jump into that now. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dynamic Women, for joining us today. Please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Who do you know who needs to hear our message? We'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family. If you're ready to be more dynamic, have more balance and more success, head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book. Stay dynamic.